five, four, three, two, one. Levi Walker, timeout. Welcome to Christ in the Chaos, where a pastor's kid and a kid's pastor share their messy attempt at raising a Christ-centered family. We may not know what we're doing, but we are right in the thick of it. And this is how we're finding Christ in the Chaos. Welcome to this week's Christ in the Chaos. I am Kathleen. And I'm Joel. You changed the intro. I said this week. Fancy. (laughs) Um, today we are talking about um, discipline, specifically, uh, it sounds like how to train your dragon, how to train your children to behave according to your family's standards through expectations, incentives, and punishments. Uh, but before we get into all of the ways we're failing as parents, how are you doing, Joel? Yeah, it's our family check-in. We're going to check in with each other, see how everyone's doing. Before we figure out how we're failing as parents, we can talk about how we're failing as people. <laughs> uh, I'm currently failing at surviving. I, I'm You're dying. Not dying. I have a small, a slight cold. He has the man flu. Um, I've had the sniffles and a slight cough. <laughs> um, for a, I had the same thing and recovered almost immediately. Oh my goodness. I'm fine. If I got a full night's sleep, I'd probably be super fine. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> Uh, other than my children trying to literally kick me out of bed, or maybe they're just trying to take my kidneys out. I'm not sure. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I had the same little sniffles that you had, but I've been feeling pretty good for a few days, um, including I've been feeling less fatigued and, and been able to kind of bounce back. I'm feeling really good at work. I have a good organizational structure going. I feel like the kids the kids are a little sick. They're not like... They don't have green snot. They're not actively coughing, but they're snotty and tired. And it's just, don't you think they're they're just kind of in this perpetually snotty and tired state? And they're just not their best selves. And so it's not... So we're talking about discipline. Nothing. But the thing is, like, it's one of those times where it's like, I'm not trying to make them better people this week. I'm just trying to help them get through the week and help me get through the week because they're just not, they're not themselves. Um, yeah, they just, I mean, you know, you you have the flu or the cold for a week and you just get off rhythm and you're tired and your body kind of aches and then the, it takes you a week this, to kind of recover from it. They haven't had a fever. They haven't had... No, but they had a cold. They just, yeah, just it's recovering. just like a real mild cold and they're just like, they're at like 78% and like three years old at 78% is not a good thing. It's 100% cranky. Yeah. Um, so it's just been kind of a drag of a week in order just to get from point A to point B. But we survived it, and hopefully this next week will be better. As Joel was praying at the end of this podcast, it kind of highlighted to me the idea that we have not talked about um, praying with our kids in moments of discipline. We've talked about it in the podcast before, and we haven't talked about praying as guidance for discipline and we haven't talked about um, talking through behavior with your kids um, in light of what Jesus calls us to. Um, it's not that that's not worked into how we raise our kids. It's just not what we focused on in this episode. But just a reminder, um, as you listen to the rest of this podcast, that obviously keep Jesus in the process at every step. 
we will do a podcast more on that point in the future. So today's episode is called Bribes and Punishment. Dun, dun. <laughs> because crime and punishment was taken. What we are, we all wish our kids would act like human beings. We wish that they would obey us and that they would treat their family and especially other people well. Um, but in reality, our kids are born into sin and without discipline, they are selfish, impulsive, and a lot of the time they can just be real jerks. That's like a reality they have no problem accepting about other people's kids. Um, but when it's my kid, I find it very embarrassing. But if, if kids are going to know how to act, they, they have to be disciplined as children. Um, yeah, you got to learn how to act and you don't learn how to act. You don't learn anything unless someone teaches you. Right. And that's part of discipline. Discipline. When we say discipline, we don't just mean punishment, hitting them and punishing them. And no, we don't mean punish. We don't mean hitting them at all, um, to be clear. <laughs> Or, Only sorry, you think of that. Spankings or groundings or taking toys away. I mean, discipline generally in the shaping and directing them towards the person you want them to be. It's And the way they want, more specifically, the way you want them to behave. Yeah. It's not fair to expect a five-year-old to act like a 12-year-old or a 20-year-old. But when you look forward to how you want your 20-year-old to act... You need to kind of start having a plan to move forward now. I think it's an interesting thing. When, when parents get together, we tend to talk about, or we tend to like watch each other's kids. And I have like an almost unlimited amount of grace for a little kid having a bad day or a little kid who is in need of discipline. That is just how kids are, including my own kids. It's, it's the, I think when we start to like legitimately Look at another family. You don't know what another family is going through at any given moment. But when they are not doing anything to adjust the behavior of their kids or when they are being ineffective in doing or when we are being ineffective in adjusting the behavior of our kids, um, that's when things start to go off the rails. Um, the kids that kind of get wild and, and, and don't know how to act are people who don't have effective discipline structures. And, and that's what we're at least trying to uncover and talk about in this episode but i have to admit i actually don't think we're nailing this right now speak for yourself my kids are perfect there was like a time when i we would go out in public and even our more difficult child who i mean right now i don't even feel like he is the more difficult child um i would be like proud to take them out i'd be like look you know like these kids know how to behave according to their age and and they know how to act and they act you know they they make mistakes but they generally are good and right now i don't feel like we have a good grasp on what they need for their training and how we can help them. And I feel like we're in this learning stage. We're learning about who they are in this next stage of development. And it's making it very hard. We're making like on the fly adjustments to their discipline plan. So the basis of, of our, our, our biblical basis for today is a super controversial and, uh, like really problematic part of the Bible, but the underlying point is strong. Um, and it's Proverbs thirteen twenty four, which is whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. And I think if we kind of modernize the spare the rod and we think of discipline in this, in this form of it being the root of disciple, um, of a training and a growth and a, a new way of being 
and not a punishment or certainly not a like hitting someone with an actual rod, um, that that scripture is not only valuable, but very easy to apply and true. Mm -hmm. This is not a podcast about corporal punishment. It's not something that we use or something that we believe is effective with our own kids. And it's not that I don't care what you're doing. It's just not what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. And we're not going to judge how you parent, but it doesn't work with our kids. So we don't do it. That being said, we're not, we're not total hippies. I mean, we, we use punishment and I, and I believe in the power of um, effective punishment, which we'll kind of go over some things um, later, at least what somebody else says should be effective punishment and which (laughs) has worked um, when we use it consistently. But punishment is just one piece of a bigger puzzle to help them to grow and to behave the way that we are wanting them to behave. Um, Mm -hmm. So before we go into it, (laughs) we're we're totally going to sell out our kids right now because they're both very good kids and we love them very much. But both of them present um, disciplinary challenges and their personalities. So which one would you like to describe? I will talk about the younger because I think I have a softer spot for his challenges. <laughs> and I don't necessarily think of him, even though he can be more difficult to deal with sometimes, I don't think of him as the necessarily the less obedient. He tends to be a little more stubborn. Oh. He tends to do the opposite of what he's asked. But I think that that consistency helps us. Because he does respond to counting one, two, three. He does. You're right. He is more consistent and predictable. Yes. Um, Even though he is stubborn and he always does the opposite of what you ask him to do, he always responds to discipline in a similar way and he's easier to be consistent with. And he has has wider emotional swings, which is harder for me to deal with because I don't necessarily and I didn't necessarily grow up in a family with wider emotional swings. Uh, But I think overall he's a... He's a good kid. He just has that stubborn he's, streak, he's, and his highs are high and his lows are low. He he throws fits more than the older one. Yeah, and he um, I mean, he's also younger. Um, he's he is more what I would say is um, yeah, but I think he throws he throws tantrums more than the older one ever did, did. at that age. Yes, um, he's more strong willed, and what that looks like from our perspective is that he um, the book that I read on it called him like a data collector. If he wants to know if he's really allowed to do something like, um, I don't know, eat a cookie off a coffee table at a Super Bowl party, he will go back over and over and over and over again to see if you will continue to enforce the rule. And I have to say that I think is my biggest struggle with him is that being a parent is a lot. And a lot of the time I am just too tired to physically get up with, with that kind of kid who will just continue to physically push you mm-hmm. to where you have to physically get up and move him away or stop one. him. Um, it's just a lot to consistently enforce. But on the other side, he is more people-oriented. He is not always going to do what you ask him to do, but he will always respond to you asking him to do something. Yes. The older one, I think, sometimes doesn't realize you're screaming. He When you're two inches from his face yelling his name, I don't know that he always knows you're there. We call it Planet Dane. Um, where it's not disobedience and it's not non-compliance. It's like he's not there with you when you're telling him, stop, come here. And it's like, unless you touch him 
Mm-hmm. And maybe there's something going on there, but unless you touch him or unless you set an immediate consequence, um, which makes me think that he can hear you, um, <laughs> then he will not respond um, to yeah, whatever you're that. asking him to do in the moment. But generally more compliant, easier to get him to do yes. what you want him to do on the like the 80% of the time. And fewer fits when he doesn't get what he wants. Although recently he has been pretty fitty. Being five is really hard. It- well, yeah, he started school and it's a lot of changes. Changes. Yeah, he's a very, um, he's also a very emotional kid and he is way more likely to become upset than to get stubborn, angry or scream. You know, like he doesn't, he doesn't assert his will necessarily. He just cries and then insists. I don't know how to describe the difference. He's just more, it's more of a sadness than mm. a, than a forcefulness. So that's what we're working with. Um, so your, I mean, right, your kids are probably different, which means your mileage may vary, but I think there are some universal truths that we can tease out that apply to all kids, but how the specifics of how they apply may be a little different for yours. So how to train your child, the three big areas that we identified were setting clear expectations, using effective punishment and effective incentives with their efficacy. Efficacy, is that the right word there? In order of the way we're going through them. So the first and most powerful tool you have is to the extent that you can make expectations clear for your kid, they will be the most powerful thing in setting their behavior. Mm -hmm. There's some things that you can't foresee, right? Because you haven't dealt with it with your kid yet or they are not developmentally at the level where they can understand the expectation um, or control their bodies sometimes. But some things can be so clear and so consistently laid out for kids that they do not be, they become non-issues in your family. Mm-hmm. If we were going to pat ourselves on the back for certain non-issues, um, I could list a, a hundred things right now that our kids do not listen to us on um, or do not have clear expectations and we have not enforced them with enough clarity to make them non-issues. But the non-issues in our family are our kids share. They do not hit, kick, or spit. They do not say unkind things about other people on purpose. I mean, sometimes they're five and they're like, that person is weird looking. But but they don't say there's a difference between saying like that person looks weird on the street to me and calling somebody a weirdo yeah. at kindergarten, mm-hmm. um, which he had to learn was a not nice thing. He didn't realize necessarily that that was like calling them ugly or stupid or something like that. Um, and, and weirdo can have a positive spin on it, but not the way he was using it. So we, and using the Lord's name in vain, they're actually better at it than I am and maybe better than Joel is. And they correct us on a constant basis on that one. Yeah, I get that a lot from them. Those are things that we have set in stone from the time they were babies and consistently upheld to the point where we do not tell our kids not to hit or not to push or not to kick or not to roughhouse. And we do not tell our kids that they need to share their toys because they have been made non-issues by us setting clear expectations and following through with them. Now, our kids are going to run out into traffic. Can you think of some other things that we have failed at this on? That's, I mean, the get your shoes traffic, on, get your jacket on, listening. meet me in this room. Yeah. You need to go brush your teeth. Putting down what they're doing to come do what we want them to do. Yes, we, we are terrible at it. We are yeah. terrible at that. Whatever it is, I cannot get them to be compliant or to drop what they're doing unless I create an immediate consequence for it. Which is a tool. Um, it's just that we have not been able to make those non-issues non, ex- non mm-hmm. issues with expectations. And I say that that's not really true because we talked about the episode on rituals and certain things 
we have automized, autom- automated, there it is, automated by ritual. Words are hard. So I guess the more things that are automatic, the better and easier it is. Yeah, trying to get obedience to be automatic is really... Yeah, no, but when I think about it, like morning rich, morning getting ready and evening going to sleep, it's when we're doing anything that is discretionary, anything that is not part of their normal ritual routine and getting them to listen to us. Like we're, we're going to Amy Hardware right now, get your shoes on. They're going to spend five or 10 minutes. Levi will run to the other end of the house. Dane will continue to do whatever he's doing and then insist on staying. And the two of us will be trying to get our stuff together to go out of the house, screaming at each other to get the other kid. And it feels like the house is just totally out of control. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to getting our kids to to do what we want them to do when we want them to do it, um, and it's not something that we've set a clear expectation for, it's, it is utter chaos in our house. So how would you move forward to try and fix that? Um, that's where the effective punishment comes in. Um, I read a book that was like somebody who has older teenage kids loaned me this book about strong-willed children. And I swear it's like raising a strong-willed child or something, but I could not on Amazon find the author of this book, which I felt really bad about, but I'm going to like quote all the things I learned from them anyway. And if you want to find the book, um, come find me and I will find that person and we will figure it out together. Um, don't, but don't come find us. Don't come, find us on social media. Yeah. Um, so one of them was talking about punishment and they were talking about kind of the, the degrees of best to least effective punishment, but they're all effective punishments. And that the best punishment um, is the punishment that is the direct consequence of their behavior. So, for example, if you say, Levi, don't jump in that puddle and Levi's got on canvas shoes and he jumps in the puddle, and now he has wet shoes and wet shoes and socks. He is going to most effectively learn from that punishment than anything else you could do. If you said, you know, don't don't uh, step in that puddle, or you won't get your treat after whatever, um, that that's like almost worth nothing to you. Um, but that that in the moment, direct consequence is the best way for them to learn and the best way for them to adjust behavior. Yeah, the size of the punishment. I think almost doesn't even matter as much as the consistency and immediacy of that punishment. The, that, si- the book says that the size of the punishment, the, it is more important for it to be the correct size than for it to be a big size. So you don't want the, any punishment to be too small where it doesn't incentivize them to act differently. And if it's so big that it's unjust, they kind of lose focus on what's going on that the, the punishment should really meet the crime. Mm-hmm. And that's why this is the best. One, because when it's the direct consequence of their behavior, um, you know, please do not bring toys into the restaurant. Well, they sneak a toy in and they leave it behind. Guess what? You lost that toy and I'm not going back for it. And that's the direct consequence of your behavior. Make sure that you remember to bring your homework. Guess what? You didn't have your homework that day. That's on you. Too bad. And allowing them to experience the consequences of their actions is the best possible. I mean, you can't plan those a lot of the time. Um, but no, you could take the toy away in the restaurant. Reading this book really made me look at a uh, snack and homework with our kindergartner. I was making sure that he had his tote every day and bringing it back or bringing him a snack. And I'm like, he's in kindergarten. He can survive until noon without a snack. And if he's not going to bring his tote, then he'll survive. If it were lunch, it would be different. I wouldn't do that at lunch. But, you know, the next most effective punishment 
is that if it's directly related to the behavior. So this is one that would come up um, in our house all the time. You have five minutes to clean up the Legos or you will not be allowed to play with video games. Now that would be best, right? They're playing video games right now. You're asking them to stop playing video games and clean up the room. When they don't finish in the five minutes, thank God for Alexa because she will solve this problem for you because it's sitting there and they can watch it count down. But the, the consequences, like the thing that they are doing right now that they want to do, making it bound to that, eliminating that, um, or clean up these Legos right now, or you will not play with them until Saturday. Um, one mm-hmm. of the things I suggested was doing a Saturday basket and basically saying, you have a time-bound amount of time to finish this cleanup, and anything that is not cleaned up in that time goes in the Saturday basket, and it's off-limits until Saturday. Because c- cleaning up toys is one of the biggest ones. It is something that our kids do. Let me let me rephrase. That is something that Dane does relatively well. Levi has to be very heavily managed. Yeah. Dane does not, but Levi, you have to stand there and like touch his hands to the toys and do it yourself with him. The third uh, most effective, because that's like very directly related in the moment. You played video games instead of cleaning up, so the video games turn off. But a timeout is that when you can't easily come up with something that is direct consequence or directly related to their poor behavior, a timeout is effective. And for us, it's like, if you touch that thing one more time, if you pick that up one more time, if you draw that marker on that piano one more time, Um, you will be in timeout. And Levi, being our data collector, always wants to know if we are being Mm -hmm. serious about our threat. And so every single time, he will do exactly what we tell him not to do to test to see if we're actually going to follow through. Um, So the book says, basically, you send them to their room. The key is that they are sent away from the action of the house. They have toys in the room. They have a lot of toys in the room, so it's pretty boring in there. Um, it's certainly sending them away from what they want to do. You give them the amount of time of their age and you really do time it and it is consistent and they can feel what that starts to feel like. And when they come out, you don't have a come to truth Jesus talk with them about their behavior. You just let them out because chances are if they have a kid like Levi, he's going to go right back for that marker and he's going to go test to see if you meant it and then he'll do it again. Then you put him in timeout again for that amount of time. And you don't sit there and fight. Um, The key thing that I learned from this book was to not let your kid drag you into a dance where you're having a a verbal argument with them. You give them an expectation. If they don't meet it or if they break the rule, they go into, they receive the punishment and there's not a conversation Mm -hmm. about it. That your actions speak so much louder than your words when it comes to punishment. Yeah. And you also have kids like our older one who, setting him in timeout and then making him explain why he's in timeout was very effective. When we did that, he, he said, you know, why are you in timeout? And then he'd have to explain it. And then the next time he was in that situation, he had already thought about it as opposed to the younger one who you say, why are you in timeout? And he'll say, I'm not in timeout. Our, our, and that's <laughs> the older one. And that's the difference is the older one is not a strong willed child. And he was not somebody who was testing us. He was just not understanding what the expectation was. So it was like, for him, the key was to make sure that the expectation was clear. For the strong-willed kid, the key is making sure that he knows that you mean what you say. Before we move on to incentives, we've done expectations and punishment. The number one rule of 
punishment and incentives is that don't talk about punishment and incentives. No, it's not a it's not Fight Club. Oh, sorry. um, is that punishment and incentives should be ba- should never be based on your emotional state. They should be based on a clear strategy of discipline. Um, you are training their behavior. Um, so for example, if your kids makes you mad, do not create a punishment with the intent to make them equally mad. If your kid has made you feel sad or hurt, you do not try to hurt or or make your child sad. You don't make choices out of your emotions. It's okay to yell. It's okay to be upset and to it's punish, a- but it's not okay to yell and punish out of anger. That needs to be a thought process that you have. If- I, I, what do you mean it's okay to yell? Sometimes you have to yell at your kid I, I, when they're running a, away into the street. You need to yell at them. True. But when, when you're talking about like discipline for bad behavior, not unsafe behavior, but bad behavior. Sometimes you need to make it clear and they're not listening. And so you need to raise your voice. I think there are times it is acceptable to raise your voice as long as you're doing it thoughtfully. Okay. So you're here, not doing it out of your emotions are high. And if your emotions are high, send her to their room until you're ready. I cannot think... Let me let me be clear. I think that they, when I say it's okay to yell, what I mean is sometimes you yell because we are also sinners and you cannot. I mean that. Let yeah, me be don't clear. Don't feel bad about yourself if you have emotions. I yell and I don't yell because I think it's effective. And that's the whole point, I guess, is why I was kind of pushing back on that. I don't yell because I think that there isn't any time when yelling is effective unless it's like the safety of the kid. I think it accentuates a point sometimes. I don't. I don't, and I don't think it teaches the kids a good way of dealing with it because I don't want them raising their voice at me or someone else either. The, the whole thing about not disciplining and or incentivizing out of emotional state is that, you know, God doesn't teach us an eye for an eye or tit for tat. God t- teaches us to like turn the other cheek and respond in love and discipline is love. These punishments and these incentives, they can all be out of love um, if they are aimed at adjusting your kid to have the behavioral standards they need to function in the world. Um, but when you are thinking, I hurt, I'm going to hurt you. You made me sad. I'm going to make you sad. You're modeling sin. You're growing sin in your kid. And, and that's not to say that we don't, haven't done it or that you won't make that mistake, but to know that that is not the key way to do this, that that, mm-hmm. is the, that is the worst possible scenario that we all accidentally do, not the goal. So the last category, we... <laughs> In the title, we're calling it bribes. Um, and here I'm trying to be classier and call it incentives. It's bribes. People call it bribing their kids. They I ha- understand it. I have to say, before we go into this, we're going to talk about what we're doing. I actually don't think what we're doing is good. And um, well, at least for one of our kids. And I'm a little worried that we are not doing this well and we are doing a disservice to our kids um, in the way in the way we use incentives. Um, the two reasons we use incentives are um, when the value added to their well-being outweighs the damage of the bribery. <laughs> um, so in potty training is a common one. I think that people do, they do like a M&M or a, we do a marshmallow. It hasn't been real successful. Um, but, uh, or the other thing is I bribe the kids to practice piano. Um, if they do a good job, they get a pack of Smarties. So they're eating a pack of Smarties every day. Um, but it means I get like 15 minutes of focused piano practice and that the million dollars that I spend on piano lessons isn't wasted. Um, so I feel pretty solid about that. I think with 
bribes, it's kind of the opposite of punishments. I think punishments should be consistent and regular. They should be every time, all the time. Incentives should be very irregular. It it should be something that they don't come to expect. Because if they come to expect it, it's no longer an incentive. It's it's wages. It's, it's, it shouldn't be, oh, you did your chores today. Here is your treat. The treat should be something that doesn't happen regularly enough that they expect it every time. Yeah. Because then it no longer works because now they will refuse to do it unless they'll refuse to do anything unless they get the and, treat. And I guess I think this first category that I'm talking about is it's wages. It's I will pay you in toddler to practice piano. It's not a bribe necessarily. Well, it is kind of a, do you know what I'm saying? Um, I hear what you're saying. It's too consistent to be a bribe. It but becomes wages. Let me tell you how it actually plays they out with um, with our kids with piano. Um, I always, Levi practices first every day. Dane practices second. Levi comes. I said, Levi, it's time for piano. And he says, okay, we'll only do three things. Um, he, he has no concept of what three things is in, in practicing piano. So it works out fine. Um, I practice with him. He remembers and he gets his candy and he goes on his way. I call Dane in. We practice. He knows that at the end of piano, he's allowed to pick between a quarter and a thing of Smarties. And then he puts his quarter in his, in his either giving, saving, or uh, spending category. But 90% of the time, he does not remember to collect. Um, he'll just walk away. He's just glad to be done with his piano and goes back to his. The real bribe for Dane is being allowed to go back to what he wants to do. <laughs> So it's it's an interesting. I don't know that piano is a bad example. I think we are worse on giving them something if they're good at the store. Mm -hmm. Giving them something if they're you know, hey, come with me and you'll get an X. Yeah, you can get Legos, you can get a treat, you can get a something. Levi could care less about. Levi never needs to be bribed um, to do to go and do errands or to just act like a person when we're out in public. And, and if you said, I'll get you a treat, he does not have the the, the far forward looking thinking to connect the treat with his behavior. Now, it does not work with Levi. And I would go as far to say is that it is not currently working with Dane. And I think I've kind of your statement earlier. I think I've kind of put it together that what we're using a bribe for for Dane is how is when I'm feeling guilty that I'm asking them to do something very hard. I can't afford childcare, so you have to come with me to the doctor. I'm can't. I'm asking you to sit here while I work in my office. I'm asking you to sit while Dad gets his haircut. When I'm asking them to act in a way that, like, I know somebody else could afford childcare and they wouldn't have to come along, but I'm forcing them to come along because we can't afford that. I feel guilty, and out of that guilt, I bribe them, and it's ineffective. It doesn't. It doesn't work. Um, and Dane, and, and that, then the issue that you came up with, Dane expects the reward regardless, just for acting like a person for a hard moment. And it's like, well, we all have hard moments mm -hmm. and it's kind of turned him in, into a little bit of a jerk when we're out in public. Well, I think kind of the point of this podcast for us at least is, well, okay, now we've looked at it. Let's stop doing it. Let's change. Yeah. How can we change that? I think we just make a hard turn and he doesn't get prizes for anything. Yeah. And which we, I think honestly I've done less of, and part of doing less of that is me taking him on errands a lot less 
because he is in kindergarten now and I have Thursday mornings and Tuesday mornings with Levi. If I need to get something done, like going to Target, I just don't bring him. Mm -hmm. She's your one kid anyways. Yeah. Especially that one kid. So overall, I think if you see our kids out in public, you know that we are not exactly <laughs> nailing this. I think that the expectations and the uh, punishments and the incentives and having an overall discipline, discipline philosophy and plan and being consistent with it are important. But I think it's also important to have grace for yourself and to realize that your kids will change. Your plan and philosophy will need to grow and change with them because the standard of behavior that you're holding a three-year-old to is different now for the four-year-old that you have or the five-year-old that you have, and that there are going to be hard times while you are examining your kid and trying new things to figure out what the new system will be. And um, that means us having grace for each other's kids. That means us having grace for our own kids and just asking for God's help to be patient um, in those moments and in those times when we are trying to figure out how to be our best selves as a family. Amen. So it's time for everyone's favorite favorite segment. So that came up. So I have been making a big effort to read to Dane more, and we were in front of, um, he was in his Lego area playing with Legos, and I was reading him Tales of the Fourth Grade Nothing by Judy Bloom reading him a perfectly innocuous chapter that had nothing to do with death. And um, he pops up from what he's doing and says, so when you die, your heart stops sending oxygen to your brain and the messages get all messed up and your brain's like, what? And then your brain like stops sending the, <laughs> and like stop sending the, the purple blood cells to your, and like just gives this very like, detailed explanation of the physical that was punctuated with a lot of and then your heart's like <laughs> and like the physical process of death and what happens to your heart and um, the oxygen in your blood and the messages from your brain and it went on for a solid 60 seconds explanation and Joel was uh, listening to a podcast or something on his ears and so I said why don't you explain that to daddy and he turned and told the exact same weird explanation to you and I have no idea where it came. I'm, I'm, I know where the science came from. The science came from dun 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 dun, dun magic school bus. But but he they didn't figure out death. They didn't explain death. They just explained how oxygen gets to your brain and why you put together that when your brain stops getting oxygen, that's the end of you. Don't know. I, mean, I don't I, know how to deal with. I it. have explained that before, but why it came into his mind to give us a little like mini sermon on um, how physical death works in the middle of this afternoon was, that was so Dane. Anyway, you want to pray us out? Yeah. Dear God, grant us your patience, grant us your kindness, grant us your love and grant us your wisdom when we are being parents to our children, as you are a good father to your children, help us know what to do. Help us have the energy and the patience to do it. Help us be good parents to these kids. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening. Please take a second to rate and subscribe to this podcast. It helps others to find us and to be hashtag blessed by the discussions that we have here. If you want to contact us, you can reach us on Instagram at Christ in the Chaos, or you can email us at Christ in the Chaos Pod at gmail.com. Until next week, we hope you have a peaceful week. But even if you don't, remember that you can find us and Jesus waiting for you in the chaos.